great. Um, so singleness and the divine romance and what's life all about and church and that. Well, I'm going to begin by just saying this, that the way of Jesus is much more radical than most people ever dream, and especially in this area of romance and uh, intimacy and what life's for. And I'll start with a different subject, just for a moment. In Luke 12, 13 to 15... Jesus shows that he doesn't really care about money at all. And I'm going to use this example to show how he is just on such a different track of thinking and feeling that it's like, it shocks me. It's one of the most shocking little things that he says, like a tiny little incident. But it's one that always rocks me. Um, He can't understand why any of his followers have any interest in money at all. And that's just weird that he's like that, Jesus. He's just like, I don't know, why are you even in it? Do you want money? And everyone's like, yeah. And he's like, whoa, weird. He thinks that's weird. So there's an incident where someone in the crowd said to him, Luke 12, 13 to 15, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So it's a family fighting over a a will, inheritance, maybe there's a house being sold off, could be hundreds of thousands of pounds, you know, huge amounts of money probably and all that. And you can imagine all the, because if you know people who've been involved in this sort of thing, people can have grudges for decades over things like this. Families never talk to each other again over this sort of thing. And then someone might get low, might get all the inheritance and they don't deserve it. And this person looked after this elderly parent for this long amount of time and they haven't got any and this other person's managed to swim it. You know, and there's, oh, it's like justice and all this sort of thing, right? So they think, well, Jesus could sort this mess out. Let's sort it out. So what's he going to say? Teacher, can you sort this mess out? You know, you'd think he'd go, yeah, okay, now what you should do is, this is how you should do it fairly and justly or or whatever. He doesn't, he's not interested. He just goes, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? What's it got to do with me? Let's let that sink in. Because we know the story behind that question. We perhaps we ourselves may have been involved in things like that, and it's and even now, if you're one of a person who's been involved in such a punch up, you might be like getting all agitated just at the thought of one of those that the way these things go burn. And you say, well, we could always pray about it, but if you do, Jesus, the Emperor of the Universe, is just going to say, I don't care. It's nothing to do with me. What do, you, what do, you, do you want money? What do you want? Now, just let that sink in. Jesus is not playing our games. He isn't into the things we're into. He just doesn't, in fact, he doesn't really understand why we love the things we do. He thinks ba- it's bad and he just doesn't understand why we do it. So, um, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator? Then Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. 
Life is not about having lots of stuff. That's what he said. Now, we, again, you're like, no, Jesus, it, it is. It is. It's about having a great house, a great car. It's about, or at least something. And it's like having enough money so you can retire well and this and that and this and that. That is what life's about. And he, he just said, no, it isn't. It's not about having stuff. It's not about money. I don't care whether you get loads in an inheritance or not. It's not I don't care. You shouldn't care. Now, to me, that little incident is one of those incidents that brings me up sharp and makes me think, oh, what? You mean Jesus really isn't into the way we think and live? He's on a totally different kind of channel of reality. Okay. So... Um, and it is such a big shock to us because like, even when politicians talk about we need a just and fair society, when you push them, what they really mean is what we do with money. <laughs> That's what they mean by just and fair. They mean a just and fair society where everyone's got enough money. And he'd be like, what? What's that got to do with justice? Really? And we're like, what? That's the only thing it's to do with. And he goes, it's actually got nothing really to do with it. And shocking. Uh, he genuinely thinks his followers will be happy to just share, give away, share what they have with the rest of their church family. They'll sort of be like, oh, well, you know, I'll just, I don't mind giving, give away everything I've got and share it with my church family. I don't, I don't need money, do I? He thinks that's what Jesus people are like. And they were like that in Acts chapter 2 and 4 when you look it up. They were. They actually were. But think of it. Now, I say all that just to remind us at the beginning that the things that are, can be such an obsession in the modern world, the Bible and Jesus, and in fact church history, they doesn't think like that at all. And it's honestly a shock to realize what? The Bible's like really different on money, power, and sex, relationships, love, all that stuff. And so if you want to get, there's two scriptures we'll look at. There's 1 Corinthians 7 from verse 26 and Matthew 19 from verse, from probably about verse 7. So it's Jesus teaching about this. And then the Apostle Paul teaching about this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, from verse 26. Uh, I'll, I mean, I could read... Uh, no, well, I'll come to it. No, I'll read a bit now. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, we'll just start on that. Uh, from verse 26. Because uh, of the present crisis, I think it's good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Don't seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Don't look for a wife. Just let that one sink in. That's what the Bible says. Are you not married? Don't, don't, look, for a, don't look to get married. But if you do marry, verse 28, if you do marry, you've not sinned. 
You can, you can get married, but it doesn't matter. You don't look for that. Don't dream of that. But if you do, it's okay. It's not sinful. If a virgin marries, she's not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spur you this. He's like, marriage, it's, got a lot, it's not that great. He's saying, it's got a lot of trouble. And I, pref- I think I'd spur you that. Think of that. That's in the Bible. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time's short. Now on, you know, life is short, really. So life is short. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with life? It's only a few years that you've got to serve the Lord. What are you going to do with it? So he says, from now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. So he's like, even if you are married... Don't take your marriage too seriously. Don't take it too seriously. Don't make that the center of your existence. It isn't the center of your existence. That's what you say. Again, isn't it a shock? Don't take your marriage too seriously. Try, he's almost saying try to live with the devotion to God and Christ and church that a single person could. Because what can easily happen, as we'll see, is that your marriage and family takes over your life and your energy and your focus and church loads of people say to me can't make church on sunday kids playing football uh we've got a family event uh we're doing this we're doing the patio i've had i've had someone who missed church for six weeks because they were doing the patio on sunday mornings because they said well it's good for the family isn't it that's what i like and i'm like wow bible's right isn't it so he's simply saying don't do that don't do that rubbish. Where your family and marriage is now taking over life and saying, oh, I can't go and visit someone. I, can't, I haven't got time to look after people, share what I've got with people in church. I can't do that. I've got family. I've got my kids. I've got this. The Bible's like, see, I told you. I told you what would happen. And it's gone and happened. You don't really care about church anymore. Your, fam- your real family, your eternal family, you don't care about them because you're so caught up with your temporal family. That's what Paul's saying. That's what the Bible says. So um, if you're mourning, verse 30, as if you weren't. So even when you go mourning and loss of, you know, someone's died and you think, don't, even that cannot define your existence. Why? Because you think you should, as a Jesus follower, have this much bigger perspective on death. Those who are happy as if they were not. So in other words, don't get so caught up in the things you love in life that they, absor- they absorb you. Those, if you buy something as if it's not yours to keep. Notice it's always the same. He's saying, think about it. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Now, of course, we know now single guys, they're not concerned about the Lord's affairs. (laughs) Uh, he's like, no, but he's like, I'm talking about see, people who are really following Jesus, re- serious people, people who are really part of church, really following Jesus. He's like, now, if you're a single person and you're really following Jesus, 
you, all your obsession is, is Christ and the church family and his kingdom and serving his agenda. That's all that's on your heart and mind from when you wake up till the moment you go to bed, right? That, Paul, Paul actually thinks that's what, that's what Christians are like, you know. Um, he should have got out more, but still. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, he's like, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. That's the only thing on his agenda. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman, a virgin, is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, because he's already said, you can get married, but I just want you to do that with eyes wide open. Not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way with undivided devotion to the Lord. Wow. Okay. Now, we'll, in a moment, have a look at what Jesus says as well. But for that, we'll, we'll, see, we, we'll get to that shortly in Matthew 19. But Jesus and Paul assume then that Christians are not going to be too bothered about getting married or focusing on the romances of this passing life compared to the much greater divine romance of eternity. He's like, if you're really a Christian, your obsession is Christ the Lord. That, and you've fallen in love with him. And, you, and your, the family you really live and die for is your church family. And not just on Sunday, all week, they're the family you're worried about. And, uh, and as he says, like, uh, he, he actually talks about people who lose their family for his sake. Do you remember, he's, and we'll, we'll perhaps have time to look up that scripture where he's like, look, nobody's going to lose their husband or wife or father or natural family, but they'll get so much more in kingdom and church. Remember, so he's expecting people to have, be faced with a choice, choices that, that are forced on them where they have to choose between their natural family, marriage, extended family, and church and Christ. And he's like, obviously, they're going to walk away from that for this. Now, does that happen, though? Let's just let that sink in. I've seen the other happen many, many times where people walk away from church for the sake of the person they're married to and their family. I've very rarely seen that it ha happen the other way, the way that Jesus expects it to happen, that people would turn, if a person said, you can't go to church, you've got to choose between me and church, and then that and that person would go, right, it's church, it's Christ, it's that's the, that's more, far more important. I've not often seen that. I've often seen the opposite. This is powerful. It's deep, challenging. So, but think of this: the single life then, throughout the history of church life, down through the ages, all over the world, singleness, and nowadays it's it's in the Western world 
singleness has slipped a lot in its value over the past 50 or 60 years. And there's been that sort of whole idea, oh, church is about marriage and family. I think in America, there's all sorts of Christian institutes that's all about promoting marriage and family and things, as if it's the same thing. All our ancestors, Christians, all over the world, down through ages, would be like, what? That's not our agenda. Singleness has often been much more energy been put into promoting that. And there's been, just think about even in this country, so many communities that were set up for single men and single women. What do we call, what do we used to call them things like monasteries and nunneries and abbeys and religious communities. And there was just loads and loads of Christians who had a particular kind of very focused single life. That was a massive part of Christian life church life to have and how would they live and nowadays if a person chooses such a life we'd say well you can just live in a bed set on your own (laughs) whereas historically church was much more compassionate and said no no don't do that let's just have a big house for you all to live in together and share life together all the time because you know it's a bit brutal if you're just in a bed set say all on your own so church historically was a lot more compassionate about that Many of the great saints we celebrate, single people. Like, if you just say, name some famous saints, and and we're all saints if we follow Jesus, but like, you know, those, the famous Christians, put it that way, from history down around the world, you might say, oh, there's uh, there's this person. But very often, they were single people. And the reason they're so famous is kind of because of that, they were so devoted and driven by that. Of course, as all of us as Christians, we are devoted to a celibate single man, Jesus of Nazareth. That's powerful, isn't it? We regard the greatest human life that's ever been lived is a celibate single life. That's, he's the center. Christ and his church have, then, have held up this higher calling, this vision of a single life where church is our main identity, our true family, where we have far more brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, mothers and fathers than we could ever have through just biological family. Like here you might, I don't know, this church may be like 100 people on a Sunday or whatever, and then, but that's throughout the week. You've got, a, you've got an immediate family of 100 Mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, straight away as soon as the person joins. And that's so powerful. And then similar families like that all over the world, and you can go all over the world as church, and you've got this massive family, international family. In the ancient church, in the years right after Jesus and the apostles, what we would call the early church, it's weird when, if you've never read what are called the early church leaders, so those first, cent, you know, first, second century, third century, fourth century, fifth century, those sort of times. If you've never read them before and you just start reading them, you'll find it, one of the things that might strike you as odd is how often they write books about singleness and like virginity and uh, that, that sort of thing. And you're like, whoa. Why are they always on about that sort of a subject? 
And it's because of this teaching. They were like that. It was common in those ancient and medieval times that if you, if, if you were married and had children, one of your top prayers is that one of your children would be a single, one, like a devoted single person. So we, modern families then go, oh, we're praying that they're going to get married and have kids. <laughs> Whereas the ancients and the medievals, oh, we're praying that they won't. <laughs> at least one of them, we're going to pray at least one of them doesn't. And that they are like that um, would be one of these single people who maybe joins a monastery or nunnery or, and has that kind of devotion to Christ. And so it could be that the modern Christian culture not only is very materialistic, obviously, um, but also has basically adopted a pagan view of fertility. Now, you know in the Bible there's loads of fertility cults, aren't there? The Baal worship, they're always worshipping fertility and be, having kids and all that sort of thing. And in the, in the Bible, it's like, no, that isn't what life's all about. It's a good blessing from the Lord, of course, but it's not the meaning of life. You can't worship that. You can't be devoted to that. But that, and sometimes you, when people read the Bible, they say to me, "Oh, isn't it weird how ancients were got got caught up in fertility cults?" And I'm like, "I wish it was weird. It's absolutely contemporary." It's one of the most strong religions of the modern age, fertility cults, believing that marriage, sex, children, reproduction, that's where life's really all about. And church has got sucked into that pagan fertility cult. And then this sense then of how we've listened to the Apostle Paul, we'll listen to Jesus shortly, and it's, it's, a radically, it's radical different view of desire and marriage and singleness and the purpose of life. And it's not anti-marriage at all, but it's just putting it into the right perspective that it has in the Bible. And yeah, this could upset some of us. I normally find it does. But it's just, it's just that sense of let's hear what the Bible really says. Now, here's some facts. The majority of people in church in the UK today are single people. Yeah, the majority. Either never married or divorced or widowed. The majority of people who go to church, the majority of people in the whole country, of course, are single by a long way. But the majority of people even coming to church, since 2007... Single people outnumber married people coming to church. And today, in well, this was accurate, I think, till 2020, and this, the graph is got, has gone. So uh, today, I think it's about 56% of church in the UK is single and 44% married. And I was trying to find out, because the graph is absolutely consistent. So now I'd heard... It was 58 and 42. 58% of, people, of churchgoers are single. And for only 42% are married. So that's an enormous now. And the graph is, is it's going to get quite a lot more that way in the coming decade. Now, is that what, 
actually, that's more like the way it was in the ancient church. Uh, when many who became Christians didn't get married. That was very common. And in the, when you go back to those ancient, those what we call early church, that was quite a common thing to do, that when you became a Christian, you, one, gave away your money and possessions to church family, and two, very commonly said, I'm not going to get married. So to have lots of single people is not a totally new thing, but it is a big, strong feature of church today. And, and, and that can be a great thing if this vision of Christ and church is understood and embraced. See, in the ancient times, you get non-Christian writers who were really upset because church was like this. Greek and Romans... Uh, pagan writers would write against church and Christians and say, it's outrageous that you lot aren't getting into marriage and family and kids and stuff, that you aren't part of our fertility cult sort of thing. It's outrageous that you're choosing to be celibate people. We think that's wrong. They, they used to say it was morally wrong for Christians to live that way. They wrote against it. They thought it was unnatural, immoral, and a waste of good, fertile, attractive people. Like they're saying that we've seen there's good, fertile, attractive people going into your churches who are refusing to get married. It's outrageous. It's, it's disgusting. And they said it's dangerous. It's dangerous because that's the way people are supposed to function. Why are you doing this? Yeah. And you think, that's kind of the way people talk about us now. <laughs> Lifelong virgins. There was lots of churches who would say, we've got loads of them. And they thought that was a, a good thing to sort of put on evangelistic literature. <laughs> Come to church. It's full of lifelong virgins. <laughs> I'm not sure we do that now, um, but it was considered to be to a society that was so sexually immoral and so sexually obsessed, the idea that there were people who'd found a way out of that and found a way to live full human life without any need for that was considered like, what? Like an oasis in a desert kind of thing. If you can imagine it. I don't know. I mean, yeah, we wouldn't do it quite that way. So, we, but we, so I have to well, keep repeating, though. It's not that we're anti-marriage. Jesus isn't anti-marriage. The Bible isn't anti-marriage. Jesus did his first miracle at a, mar a wedding feast, didn't he? Um, so it's not that that is, a, is dishonored. No, it's honored. It's not sinful to get married or anything like that. But... In the kingdom of God, the true obsession is Jesus and church, and the single person can give more to that than the married person can, and that is powerful for many reasons. Let, that Apostle Paul, again, I mean, I won't read it again, 
because we, we, I, I, but that 1 Corinthians 7 passage, if you've still got that, a thumb in that, but also have Matthew 19. And when he's just saying so directly, um, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. Married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. It's just factually true, and we've seen it, experienced it. We know that's true. But he says, like a single person, can be completely devoted to the Lord and church in a way. And remember, church, As I, I know I don't need to say this to this group of people, but I'm just reminding us. When he says church, he doesn't mean going to church once a week on a Sunday. Church is 24-7. It's how we live all the time. Uh, connecting to our church family, looking after the sharing life 24-7. That's what church means, of course. Uh, you all know that. Of course, and again, I emphasize, um, a single person isn't completely devoted to the Lord all the time. Like, lots of single people are single for, uh, and, have n- and are not completely devoted to the Lord. I mean, many single people may use their freedom not to pursue this devotion and focus on Jesus and church life and scriptures and service and love. They may use their freedom just for selfish reasons. I was just listening to someone yesterday who was like, I like being single because it means I can go off and do loads of stuff just for myself and please myself. And that's why they thought that. And I'm like, well, the Bible has no, that's not what the Bible thinks is good about being single. So you can please yourself. That's just evil. You, it's pleasing yourself is evil. Uh, whether you're single or married, <laughs> that's evil. But the Bible, you can be, that's what Paul's saying. If you're single, you can have this freedom of devotion to the Lord and service, and love, and justice, and truth, and so on, in a way that's impossible once you're married. That devotion to the living God. Well, that's what the Bible teaches. Let's have a look, because I know I've only got probably 10, 15 minutes left. Um, Let's just go to Matthew 19, and hear Jesus on this bit. Uh, it's the Pharisees had been talking about divorce. And then Jesus had replied, no, uh, we were, he, at the beginning, he quotes from Genesis, God, the, the creator made the male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The no, so if they do that and become married, they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together let not humans separate. So he's really saying divorce isn't really an option. That's not what marriage is. Marriage is an indissoluble unity. You, and that can't, you, divorce shouldn't ever enter your, the minds. Your, your whole focus is being united. And then from verse 7, why then, they asked, if that's true and divorce is, is not supposed to happen, why then did Moses provide provision for it? And Jesus replied, 
Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It wasn't this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, we're not going to explore all, like, all the reasons for divorce, what accounts for unfaithfulness, and Paul deals with that sense that abandonment and other things like that. We're not going on to that. What we Because re- we're focusing on the next bit. Well, that might be for another time. Yeah, well, it's like, he's good. He said, yeah, he's going to cover that one on another occasion. <laughs> yeah, he's pointing at me. He's like, you'll have to come and do that. Um, the, uh, but what we're focusing on is verse 10, because the disciples are like, what? So when you get married, you're not, you, don't, you can't just go, well, this is a bit too hard. I'm out. I'm out. And Jesus is like, no, no, that's not, you can't go, you can't get married like that. When you're married, that's it. You're married and you have to give yourself to your wife completely and love her and serve her and carry her and everything. And she's to be like that to you. And you're to be like that, devoted to one another. And no matter how, and if it's hard, you can't go, well, I'm out. I've had enough. He's like, you can't do that. And so he's like, he's got this very high view of marriage. So in other words, he's like, we'll see, he's got a high view of singleness, but he also has this super high view of marriage. This is what marriage should be like. It should be, and we know what he's really thinking. It should be like God and his bride church. That's how marriage should be, so that when you enter it, you enter it consciously, like never to leave it, to give yourself to it with such devotion. Now, the disciples didn't have that view. They say, if that's how it is between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. If you can't get out when things get tough, I better not get married. And then imagine they're thinking, well, that's, that's going to floor Jesus because he's going to be like, no, 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 you should get married like that. But he doesn't. Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. You shouldn't, basically. If, if you can't handle this high view of marriage, don't get married. Tough that, isn't it? He's right. They're like, should we not get married then? He's like, yeah, you shouldn't get married. Don't get married. If you can't handle Christian marriage, don't get married. Look, verse 11. Not everyone can accept this world, but only to those whom whom it's been given. So not everyone can get married, but some people are given the gift of marriage, and they are gifted to be able to get married, but not everyone can do that. Most people, maybe even most people, shouldn't get married. Look at verse 12. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by human beings. And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept this. Right, let's chew on this for a minute. Um... This teaching in Matthew 19. Well, first of all, it's not just a New Testament thing either. Uh, there's two there's examples in the Old Testament of this. <clears throat> two easy examples. In the Old Testament, Moses, for example, was in his 40s or 50s before he got married. So, you know, for all those early years of his life, he wasn't married. He was just a celibate single guy. 
And then the Lord told the great prophet Jeremiah not to marry at all, celibate single life. But in Matthew 19, Jesus then addresses it. Um, and he's like, as we say, the context is, he said, look, church marriage, Christian marriage has a once for life intensity to it. And then he says this, right, so eunuch, he speaks of singleness, and this is the first thing to meditate on. He speaks of singleness in terms of being a eunuch. Now, you know, a eunuch, it's, you know, someone who's had, you know, everything chopped off sort of thing. You're like, ooh, that's a bit extreme. The reason why I'm going to just, because you might say, we don't need to think about that too much. No, actually, just for a second, he's, it's the fact that he chooses such an extreme word. A eunuch cannot have, have any sexual activity cannot physically is impossible and that's the word he chooses for singleness if you're single you cannot in jesus mind have any sexual activity isn't it that's the extremeness of what jesus is saying it's somebody who has had the possibility it has no possibility of sexual activity it's extreme language but it's the language jesus uses now, in the world around us, singleness does not mean being a eunuch at all. It just means, when, in fact, when people say they're single, it doesn't mean that they're, uni- they're, they're oh, I've got no sexual activity at all. In the world around us, even sometimes sadly within Christian culture, <clears throat> they, they do have, they just mean, oh, I'm not ha- I'm, I don't have a long-term relationship. I'm single. Ah, so you're living as a celibate eunuch. Oh, no. Like, it involves all kinds of hookups, dating, you know, that sort of thing in the world around us. It can mean loads of sexual activity, right? That's what singleness means out there, but not to Jesus. To Jesus, singleness means eunuch. No sexual activity. That is intense. But how and why are people like that? Well, let's listen to the three reasons that Jesus gives. First, he says, they might be born that way, he says. Now, that covers a huge range of reasons for being single, from to be born that way. And he doesn't define it anymore because that covers a lot of things, doesn't it? It can cover physical, biological reasons why a person can't get married, like they... Uh, are physically not able to have that. They don't maybe have the right uh, developed equipment, if I can put it that way. Uh, All kinds of physical, biological reasons why they're not going to get married. It It can be not so much physical and biological as emotional and psychological reasons that they're born that way that they just are not going to get married. Of course, there are some of us who have born with very little sexual or romantic desire in us. We're asexual. We're born that way. We're just not interested in any of that. Or we are born in such a way that we are only or mostly attracted to people of the same gender. And we might say, I'm not, in, I'm not interested, I'm not attracted to the opposite sex at all. 
so that Christian marriage has little appeal. Sometimes people like that still get married, and that's a whole other subject, but a man and a woman, they still can do that, Christian marriage, but that's not the normal thing. So there's lots of people who are born in such a way that they're not attracted, man and woman, they don't physically or psychologically equipped for marriage. Because Christian marriage is between a man and a woman as a testimony of Christ and church. That isn't how marriage is necessarily defined outside of church. Outside of church, marriage is defined in all sorts of different ways. But we're not interested in that. We're interested in how does Christ define it? How does the creator define marriage? It's between a man and a woman as this picture of Christ and church. But not everyone is born able to do enter into such a relationship so jesus acknowledges that so yeah not everyone's born for that um just on that christian marriage point again christian marriage in the bible is very different than people think it is sometimes people are like oh well in in a christian marriage <clears throat> um sexual activity is kind of a free-for-all kind of thing nah in the Bible, it's that even when people are married, they still need great discipline and chastity. And you'll remember there are times when the Lord tells married people within the church to be celibate for some time. There's a good example in Exodus 19, 15, where the Lord says, the Lord is going to come in three days to the mountain. So therefore, married people don't be intimate with each other. So again, even, even within marriage, they're supposed to have this sort of discipline and control. The Bible expects that. Okay, born that way. Second one, reason for being a eunuch. I'm going to get to, Owen's like, oh, he's only on his second one. Don't worry, I'll, I'll just do these three and then we'll stop. The second reason for being a eunuch, he says, is Matthew 19, 21. There are eunuchs who've been made eunuchs by others, by humans. What's Jesus thinking about the deep, complex? Now, it could be that they've been physically injured by others. It can also cover abuse that they've received from others that makes them no longer uh, willing or able to have Christian marriage. Loads of people in that category, physical injury, and emotional abuse, um, abuse that means, nah, I can't, I can't do that. I can't get married. Much greater number of people who've become unwilling or unable uh, to get married because of what's been done to them. A lot of people like that. The very deepest injuries done to us are not physical the way we've developed relationships we've been in, crimes done to us, environments that have shaped us. In so many ways, the influence or actions of others may make us into celibate single people within God's kingdom. We're like, no. Nah. Christian marriage, as Christ has defined it, that, I can't do that because of what others have done to me. Jesus is acknowledging that. He's like, yeah, there's a lot of people like that. So much behind that simple phrase, isn't there? 
that Jesus speaks. And many of us here might have stories that fill out that, what Jesus has said there. And for some, that can be a period of time that say, but, and there may one day be a time when they could get married because they've recovered from, to some degree, because of church life. And so they may get to a point where they say, now I'm able to get married. That's possible too. Okay, so he's covered nature and nurture, Jesus, or birth and the events of life. But he has this third category. There are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, whoever can accept this should accept this. So if, you, so if you're not, you, you might be in category one, you might be in category two. Then he has this category three that you just choose to be a eunuch. And then he goes, now if you can accept it, you should. This choice. He seems to be saying that within his kingdom, within church, many people should be celibate single people because they, cho- they either are it for the first two reasons or they choose to be it this life, why? Because he says, for the sake of the kingdom. The, because of the kingdom of heaven. And again, that sense that there's something in life that captures the heart where the, who is the one. You know, that's a big thing, isn't it? People sometimes go, God has the one planned for you. He does, that's true. That, I'm going to say that is absolutely true. Because it's a common thing that's said in Christian circles, culture. There is, God has the one for you. He does. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That is the one. Jesus is the one he's planned for you. He's planned you to marry him since the, before the world began. He's been, that is the one he's planned for you. Whether you're single or married, that is the one. The idea that, no, he's not actually got, he's not, that's not your one. He's actually got someone else. That isn't really, the Bible doesn't really teach that. He's saying, no, he, the one is Jesus. Now, you might get married and have God's blessing on that and all that sort of thing. But you should never think of the person you married as, marry as the one. Never think of them as the one. Because then you're loading onto them something that they cannot possibly deliver. Only Jesus can deliver being the one. If you, if the per, if you, look, if you think of the person you're married to as the one, you're abusing them. You're abusing them. That's not how they should be viewed. You need to view them as they really are. A fellow sinner who's weak and needs to be helped. And the, the one, that's a pagan thing. It's not a Christian thing. I've got quotes um, from early church fathers. Many, both men and women. This is from Justin Martyr from 150. Um, many, both men and women who've been Christ's disciples from childhood have preserved their virginity to the age of 60 and 70. I'm proud that I could produce such from every ancestry of men and women. He's like doing one of those evangelistic tracks. Come and see all the virgins in our church kind of thing. You're like, ooh, steady on, Justin. (laughs) But you can see he's sort of proud that, wow, isn't it great? Our churches are filled with people like that from all over the world. 
right into older life and everything. And, they've, and he's really been saying, he's really saying to the world, can you imagine this kind of a human life that we have in church? Can you imagine that? It's radical. Uh, Ignatius of Antioch from 110, he's concerned that this church is full of people like that. And they might be boasting that how brilliant we are because there's so many of us celibate singles in church. So he warns, you've got to do, we've got to be careful not to be too proud of the fact that we've escaped from the delusions of this world. Let me just bring it to a conclusion then. Um, the world around us, in its media, songs, novels, propaganda is utterly enslaved to the fertility cult, pagan fertility cult, and in, is expecting, in, you're indoctrinated from when you're a little child to imagine that romance, sexual experiences, the sexual desire, physical attract, sexual and romantic attractiveness is what life's about. And little children are already being indoctrinated to think of themselves as a romantic partner. And not necessarily opposite sex, same sex, any sex. All of that is being indoctrinated. And, and boys and girls increasingly see themselves as a sexual object. And, and, and that is where happiness is to be found. Well, that's where they'll get their validation and status. And then it doesn't just operate at a crass level, like rom-com movies. And the great purpose of life in them is to find this one who fulfills you and all the rest of it. It's propaganda. Church once saw through that and stood against it. Now, all too often has bought into it. And is no different from the world in that fund. The only difference is, the differences are, 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 are peripheral, really. It's like saying, oh, we, we disagree with you about what certain kinds of relationships, but we're with you on the fundamental idea that we all should get married and have sex. Church never used to be like that. It used to listen to Jesus and say, no. That is never, early generations, um, the Bible warns us, again, don't turn on this tap of sexual desire, because it's very hard to switch it off once you get into that. It's in 1 Corinthians 7, 9, it's in Song of Songs 2, 7, 3, 5, 8, 4. Earlier generations of women, this is like from the 70s and 80s, I like this thing, earlier generations of women in 1970s and 80s, they had that deep challenge of realizing that a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle, right? A woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. And they were, it was powerful because they were saying, women don't need men. Women don't need men. Absolutely right. Jesus, Paul, the prophets would go, yeah, absolutely. You don't need to get married. You don't need that. And men, men now are kind of going, that's right. A man needs a woman like a fish needs a bicycle. There's a, that's in a way, in a deep sense, there's a Christian truth in that. Men and women do not need each, each other for romantic relationships and things. What they need 
is Jesus. Real. That's who you need. And we should not think, I can't be fulfilled unless I get married. That's what that slogan about the fish and the bicycle, that's what that was about. You don't need to get married. You don't need that to be fulfilled and be validated and have status. You don't need that. But then they would often go, just be you. You are enough for yourself. No, that's not true. What you need is him, Jesus, the living God. Fall in love with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Fall in love with the living God by Jesus in the power of the Spirit. You need that, but nothing else. Well, that's really all I've got. Uh, that'll do. I mean, Jesus as well, you know, uh, people roll up, don't they? Jesus, you need to come outside. Your mum and your family are there. What did he say? No, no, no. That's not my family. This is my family. Again, do you see what he's saying? I, of course, he, respect, he, he loves his mum, Mary, and the you know, brothers and sisters. But he's saying, no, no, no. My real family is church. Those that are... There's so many examples. I won't go into more now. Let me just end with this then. When I am ending with it. Owen's like, you guys, oh, not ending with it. I am ending with it. That I really am. Um, it, th- th- I really am ending this. You know, um, Adam and Eve created, uh, and then that itself, the Bible tells us, that's really about Christ and church. And you remember when the Sadducees uh, say, they come to Jesus trying to trip him up and they go, if someone's married to multiple people in this life, who are they going to get married to? Who will they be married to in the res- when they're resurrected in the resurrection future? How's that going to work? They think that's a clever question. It's obviously just a stupid thing. But they think it's clever. So Jesus just goes, you don't know nothing. Um, he more or less does say that. He goes, you don't know anything. Um, first of all, there is a resurrection. Because they're trying to say there isn't a resurrection at all. Because they, they didn't believe in the resurrection. But Jesus goes, no, there is a resurrection. Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, I am the God. They're alive and well, and you know they exist beyond death. Don't worry about that. But then he says, there isn't marriage in the new creation. Do you remember he says that? In the resurrections, you don't get married. Think about this to meditate on. Being celibate single and devoted to Christ and serving his people that is how we're going to live for all eternity. If, that, if we take that seriously, we are not going to be married in the, in the resurrection. There'll be men and women, and we'll be celibate singles, in love with Christ, serving one another forever and ever and ever. So if we do get married now, it's only a very small part of our actual existence. If we're celibate single in this life and already start to live with this, living, falling in love with Christ, serving his people, that is almost getting into the resurrection life before it's even begun. That's a weird thought, isn't it? Right, I'm stopping because Owen's about to rush, he's about to rush me. <laughs> hey.